Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Chrysalis. Fifth episode of the seventh season aired on October 28th, 1998, written by Renee Echevarria, directed by Jonathan West. In this episode, Jack, Lauren, Patrick, and Serena, the genetically engineered humans, return to the station, asking Bashir to help them rouse Serena from her cataleptic state. I had never heard of cataleptic before, but there it is on the memory alpha. Must be true. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? Good. I would like to say at the top that I will not be making the, uh, the deaf guy voice. No, um, that they make fun of in this in this episode. <laughs> I thought the actress was actually deaf for a little bit, and I thought that they were going to play uh, up that angle. But no, she just does a a, a decent uh, fake accent of it. I think. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was when the other guy the other guy was mimicking her. I was like, oh, hmm, yeah, yeah. I guess Prey can't really do that anymore. Let's um let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back, and we're going to break down Chrysalis. Hello. Everyone. Did you hear what she said? Did you hear that? I don't think I've heard a more beautiful sound in my life. It was my idea to bring you here. We missed you. You look so different. Aren't you going to say surgery, her? (laughs) There's so much I want to say to all of you. (laughs) Why are you talking like that? Quiet. There's so much I want to say to all of you. There's so much I want to say to all of you. Jack. In ele- uh, elementary school, Clay, when we were younger, did you ever have to capture monarch caterpillars, like uh, those milkweed caterpillars, and put them in a cage and then watch them turn into a chrysalis and then a monarch butterfly? Um, I don't think so, and I think that's probably because I didn't go to an elementary school from a short story written in the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> we used to do it all the time, and I remember the chrysalis is looking really cool because they're like a very shiny green, um, and they used to mm-hmm. hang from the top of the aquarium. But that is my what was it a metaphor for, Wes? Uh, breaking out of the bounds of society that are making you go to a public school. I think is what that lesson <laughs> is supposed to be about. Um, <clears throat> let's Private see. school caterpillars don't do that shit before. We- <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, it's backwards for our British listeners. So private school is public yes. and public is private. So it was what flipping does, around. What is sixth form? What does form mean? Is that basically like grade? I think it's like grade. Yeah, it's their oh, equivalent okay. to a grade. Um, I guess we can start with a little bit of an off-topic one for this one. I uh, We're at the early parts of season seven here, and I opened up this episode, and I felt a strong reaction to our feelings that we had in one of the season seven uh, TNG episodes. I think it might have been like Gambit or something. And you had a you had a line during that episode. Where you're like, I think I'm kind of done with TNG at this point <laughs> at the early season seven. And um, this episode made me kind of wonder if DS9 is just running out of um my good graces. I don't. That sounds like more mm. aggressive. But it's like is the does the the early parts of this episode and pretty much most of it left me just feeling. It's been a while since we had a good episode, and I wonder where the show stands at this point, because we ended season six with a lot of stuff that wasn't very good. We've been okay in the opening of season seven, but nothing's really stuck out as great. And this one, I don't know. This I I really didn't enjoy this episode on any level, and I don't think it's very good. 
but it's also season seven of a show that's been going for seven years. And so now it's just kind of competent uh, at doing mm-hmm. what it needs to do. But I don't know. Did did you have that feeling about DS9 or where do you feel uh, like personally around DS9? I'm, I'm just wondering if the series is running out of steam or if it's my own sort of thing of running into eight episodes in a row that haven't been very good. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think you run into a problem with a show like this that is establishing a serialized nature and a very specific serialized event, which is the Dominion War, that is still going, as far as we know. Yep. Um, But they just don't bring it up sometimes, and they go a long stretch without really addressing it or uh, end up going off on these tangents. And some of the tangents I get... Excuse me. Like the baseball episode, sure, I get it. Everybody's involved. It's a, a fun little aside. Uh, Tensions you know, are high, it, you could argue, in the war, yeah, and this is a yeah, way to let off steam. Letting yeah. off some steam. There's a little bit of a message in there as far as, like, you know, uh, how to approach certain things, you know, whatever you want to take from it. But this one just seems to be like Deep Space Nine doing Flowers for Algernon. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the in this version the doctor falls in love with Algernon, and then Algernon is like, uh, I think I'm gonna go be a smart person on my own for a while <laughs> instead of just being your love slave that you've created, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I, I was watching it thinking to myself, why are they doing this? Like, there's, there's no, um, first of all, I, when they started talking about what's her name, Serena, Serena, yeah, Serena, when they were talking about her and trying to fix her problem and stuff, and I was like, "What the hell is her problem?" They haven't even mentioned. I don't even think they established at the beginning of the episode what her problem is. No, no, they just talk about wanting to fix it, and then there's a a big or or a solid scene of um, the exact thing. That uh, I I criticize Discovery for doing a lot, where it's two characters arguing over um, the efficacy of a fake piece of technology. Yeah, that becomes like a point of contention when it's not really the point of the story. Who gives it? You know, who gives a shit about the technology? It, it works or it doesn't. Um, and they go on for a bit about like the different wiring schemes and stuff like that. And it was one of those things. I'm going like. What? Why? Why are they taking this time to tell this story that doesn't really need to be told, featuring these characters that I don't think anybody was like dying to bring see them back? Again. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it all seems to be just a story about Bashir being lonely, and at the end, he doesn't. Need, there's not even like <laughs> there's not really much of a, a character change for him. Where he he just kind of he kind of understands why she wants to leave, but there's no like, oh, I guess maybe I should be, maybe I'm not as alone as I thought I. You know, there's not there's no real character change for him. It's just Miles inviting him over for dinner. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's- it was it, it seemed like. Kind of a, and then they they have that scene where they sing for like five minutes. Yeah, I was I actually felt my most at. Uh, is DS9 running out of steam when the singing thing happens? Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, what is what is going on in this show? I it's it's it probably is a good metaphor for the entire episode because I understand the point of what they were doing there, which is 
you know, she's going to break out of her shell uh, through her, the aid of these closest friends that she has. And because they're all kind of like, not um, because they're all kind of unique characters, they do it in a very unique way that is kind mm-hmm. of goofy, uh, but it comes across. I don't think, I don't think the scene is bad or anything, but it just strikes you as very odd when it happens. And I feel like the episode itself is just, it's like missing a, it's missing an angle or something. Like I don't, yeah. I, I don't feel very solid about it. I, I like, I, I really like the concept. I like exploring the fact that Bashir is by now the loneliest person on the station, which is something that I never really thought about, but obviously is true. And I think they do a good job of setting that up in the opening scene where he runs into everybody, but everybody is busy with someone else and they can't do anything with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kieran mm-hmm. Odo on a date, Bashir or O'Brien has dinner with Keiko and everything. And I like that. But I thought that that also hinted at something weird to me about the series, which is that I feel like everyone has stopped in terms of their characterization in a lot of ways. Like Odo and Kira are the most obvious, I think. Yeah. Where Have they it, done anything in this season other than hold hands and like, no, look at each no, other? No, even, even before that in season six. But I, I feel like it's your point what you made before. It's like I almost feel their relationship should have ended the series because yeah. all it's done now is it's kind of taken them off the board in a very annoying mm-hmm. way, and I want those characters back. So the show feels smaller for some reason. And Bashir realizing this is kind of nice, but at the same time, it almost feels like the series should end. So if you're going to do an episode where Bashir realizes that he's lonely, I kind of need more stakes or more something to come out of it than what this actually is. And it ends with what I think fundamentally the problem is, is that it's a Bashir episode and it should be a Serena episode. And you don't get a sense of what Serena wants out of this. And you yeah. don't even know if she's doing it because she likes Bashir or because of the treatment or whatever. They they kind of hint at this darkness of him being the doctor who's not doing a good job doctoring her. He's like compromised by his position, but they mm-hmm. don't go far enough. So you end up with this very boring episode, in my opinion, that doesn't really get it at the heart of the matter about anything. And then it just kind of wraps up and it's over. So there's no there's no stakes. I don't feel like Bashir does anything to earn anything. I don't feel like you really get a moral quandary that's very interesting. It all feels very like, whatever. Yeah, I mean, even after she gets fixed, she spends a good portion of the episode not doing anything. Like, it, she she starts uh, pretending to be catatonic just because it's easier. Right. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't really turn it... Yeah, it, it should be more about her and, and less about him because it, it just turns... It turns into this weird sort of Frankenstein's monster type thing, and I I don't mean that to be to sound as uh, uh, reductive to her as it is, but it's like he he fixes her and then immediately falls in love with her and starts like parading her around the place, um, you know, buying dresses for her and stuff. It's just it's kind of creepy. It is, but but I like the creepiness angle because I think that it it ties into early Bashir. However, because mm-hmm. you're seeing the story through the point of view of Bashir, you have this sympathy for him where I don't think he deserves that amount of sympathy. Like I, th- right. I think what he's doing is actually kind of twisted, and it would have been interesting to see it from her point of view and to see how his loneliness is really turning him into this kind of—or his loneliness is exacerbating the creepiness that he had early on, mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. showing it to a different audience, a different perspective for the same audience. Yeah, I don't know—I uh, don't know how— <laughs> I don't know where you end up with the character of Bashir after that, because it's like I don't know how you get out of that and feel great about the character. Well, I, I think you could. I think you could but do it with the same, the same stuff that happens in this episode. It's just kind of don't play it from 
his perspective where you're seeing him laying in bed thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you, yeah. you can do all the same stuff just to kind of shift the focus away from him a little bit and make him less the hero and more the antagonist to the story. And I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of a neat thing to do with it, but it doesn't do that. So instead you're, you're focused on Bashir and what Bashir sees, but Bashir is too close to the, Bashir is like too close to it. And he has these talks with O'Brien and stuff about like how wrong his whole, uh, the thing that he's trying to do is coming across, but you don't really, it doesn't, it doesn't add up to anything. It just doesn't make you think about anything or make you really care about the characters or what they've gone through or anything like that. So it's, it's kind of a letdown. It just ends up with this really middle of the road, borderline lack of conflict episode. Oh, like yeah. they, No, it, I would say a hundred percent lack of conflict. Yeah, I was just going to say, what is, what is the conflict of this episode that she doesn't like him? I think the main conflict is Bashir is compromising his ethics is what I would like it to be, but it is what you would like it to be, but it's not what it is. No. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's hinted enough to say that it's part of it, but outside yeah. of that it's really just she doesn't like him, he likes her, they have to go their separate ways. And mm-hmm. that's really it and that's not good enough for 45 minutes of Star Trek, I well, guess. Well, you know, it's what's surprising to me is that they didn't complete the flowers for Algernon Circle which is eventually she starts to regress. And I think they could have, maybe that's too dark, I don't know. But uh, I think they could have gone away where she starts to regress and then he starts getting fanatical about fixing her to the point where there's there's now a blurred line as to why he's doing it, whether he's doing it to help her or to help him. You know what that story kind of reminds me of, actually? That's that? that's the um, the offspring story from TNG where Data builds a daughter. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the... He, he tries to build her. She eventually excels past him in that episode, mm-hmm. but then breaks down because it's too much for her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a very similar thing here. That's more of a father-daughter relationship, and this is more of like a romantic thing, but it's a, it follows that trajectory. And I think that the offspring works better... Because there's a little bit of tragedy mixed into it, and I don't feel that this is particularly tragic. This story, no, I'm the o- the only tragedy involved in it is that she leaves at the end, and right? That, that's which is sad. Yeah, tragic for him, <laughs> only because he is a creep about stuff, and and she doesn't want to be around a creepy guy anymore. Did you do you, um, do you buy his do you buy his loneliness, or it felt like you thought that that kind of felt uh, came out of thin air or something? Yeah, I don't know. No, it's not crazy. He he. he never really comes across like that he's always got someone on his arm you know it, it, it him being i i mean i guess you know even uh even people who are constantly in a crowd can be lonely i suppose mm-hmm. uh, as as the paraphrased saying might go um i think intellectually but, his loneliness makes sense to me but i agree with you that it never really comes across like i, I didn't find it problematic to include it in this episode or that it it came out of nowhere but he also feels like he's a fairly social guy all the time yeah. who's going around. Yeah. And if O'Brien's not hanging out with him, I always assumed he had some other place to go or something else to do. Yeah. You, you would think he'd be the kind of guy who would hang out in the hall of suite chatting with Einstein or right. something. <laughs> um, or just waiting but, outside the hall of suite doors for people to come out and chatting him up as they uh, try to escape their, their, yeah. their his clutches. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you would think that, uh, you know, maybe the arc of this story is something like 
more more about his intellectual loneliness where she gets fixed and all of a sudden she's she's both super smart and not crazy like the other ones. So like the other guys are there, but they're crazy and he doesn't really want to spend time with them. But finally, one of them is there who is not crazy, you know, quote unquote crazy. Right. Uh, I don't, you know, no disrespect to whatever. Which is which is um, what I think the episode is kind of saying. That's why he's attracted. That's why he sure. chooses her, and he, he's considering sending the others back. You know, which is a very kind of cruel take on. He's going to save her, keep her around, and send off the others so that they can't bother him anymore. Yeah, um, but they never really lean into it. Like they they don't really have a lot of. It, he's always kind of like showing her stuff. There's not a lot of them appearing on the same mental level. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think leaning into that and really kind of getting in, getting to that thing where he's like, this is someone I can talk to. Uh, he's got that one scene with, with O'Brien where he's talking about, but it, it comes off very much as like, he has a crush on her. Not that it's that she's, he's happy to be, uh, to have someone who is a intellectual equal that he can talk to, you know? Right. Right. I, um, I thought that they could have, um. I think one way that you could have gone gone with it is to make her you I think you have to really improve the fact that Bashir is kind of making her feel like a prisoner here where he he mm-hmm. cured her but and then he seems to think that <laughs> see, you you really want this to get weird don't you Well I I it's just that the 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 th- the thing that they do right they do the I opposite I have selected all of your clothes Serena <laughs> they please do the, wear them to dinner They do the opposite time. of that where after all this, they have a scene together where she starts to feel bad and she says, I'm sorry that I can't be the person you want me to be, which is, in my opinion, backwards of the, it's kind of similar to like the Geordie thing where they had an episode where he says, I just wanted to be your friend after all this horrible stuff yeah. I've done, where she shouldn't feel bad. What he did is he cured her as a patient. And then I think the more satisfying or true to form arc is to recognize that he is kind of holding that against her in a form of blackmail, saying, like, how could you leave me? I'm the person who helped you in this situation. And that Mm -hmm. makes Bashir come across as more of the antagonist, and I think it's more interesting. But instead, they have to keep him on the good side of things, so all they can do is have her say, I'm sorry that I'm not good enough for you. Now I have to leave. Yeah, that's fairly insulting <laughs> yeah i just i, I and i i think that in order like i think it's star trek trying to say that julian bashir is a good guy and they're not willing to sort of cross a boundary with him which is what i think this episode really needs for him to do yeah um yeah i don't think it i don't necessarily think he has to do something explicitly awful no I, but um, i think holding her kind of hostage like that is a cruel thing to do but it also makes sense in a romantic relationship where you don't want that person to leave you know what i mean yeah i i think i think you could draw i think you could draw a line where even if it's not necessarily romantic it's that he is just um trying to form her into the sort of person he wants to spend time with. It doesn't necessarily have to be romantic. I mean, that can could be, be science, it, could be medical related where they work yeah. on the same project together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, on, on an intellectual level or something, but yeah, I think there should be some sort of, uh, you know, to the point where it's, it's, it's no longer him trying to have a relationship with her it is him trying to fill the own his own void by creating something that he thinks is going to fill that void. Yeah. So you know, turning turning his approach to her into 
uh, you know, the same the same way that the more uh, you know nutso guys are extrapolating out the destruction of the universe as for like seven seventy quintillion years from now or whatever. Yeah, they got to start uh, working and, on it now. Yeah, which is like you know breaking something that should be. Uh, of concern to everybody down to something that is very, very much statistical and science-based and number-based, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That same sort of approach to her would be an interesting kind of parallel for him where it's it's he's breaking down this relationship and into something that is more um, statistically and mathematically pleasurable to him than it is actually having a relationship with her, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he's he's then, sort of then he could, objectifying once he her. realized that yeah, uh, yeah, objectifying her um on on the scale of a superhuman intelligence. <laughs> but you know, ha- having him realize that he's got that, a huge set of brains on her. Yeah. yeah both lobes are massive. <laughs> um but having him realize that uh could be a, a sort of uh wake up call for him as far as how he thinks he how he thinks he's better than the ones who are kind of cra- who are he views as crazy, but ultimately he's doing the same thing, but he's doing it in almost, arguably a more destructive manner because he's yeah. dealing with a person's life, you know. Or you know, whatever. I think I think I think it falls into our old uh, Star Trek relationships are tough to do in forty minutes too. Because sure. I was thinking as I was yeah. watching this, if if she had been around for like half a season or a full season and then left, just the fact that she's been around for much longer makes her leaving by default more sad. You know, like mm-hmm. the the more the more fond you grow of a character, the more you get to know them. Even if her relationship uh, had been the same and she left for the same reasons, it still feels like it's more of an accomplishment than what they set up over forty five minutes. Because the forty minute relationship feels so trite, and it's like you almost feel like yeah. Julian, you're an idiot. Like you don't really love her. You've known her for two hours or whatever, and that's too bad. But it's I I agree with you that I think that like the way to up it is to draw some kind of parallel between his relationship and what's actually going on with the other three. The other three in this episode don't really seem to have a point to exist here other than they brought her to DS9. It feels like they brought the whole gang back for not a very good reason because they don't also... I I was expecting a more traditional she was going to go back with them because she had grown up with them and like they were her friends and she can't leave her friends to go back to the institution and she gets to go free or anything. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. they they don't do that either. So it's strange. They they avoid all of those pitfalls, but it ends up making the trio of the um, the other three a very weird spot where they have to kind of just hang out for the entire episode. Yeah, and they don't even really have a, a good scene with Bashir after things start going, you know? It, it, they, they're they kind of caught up in their own wackiness. Yeah. Um, and they never have that scene where they impart what seems like crazy person wisdom to Bashir, uh, you know, w- whether or not it's about how he's acting the same way that they are, except he doesn't realize, you know, something like that, that he ultimately realizes that, oh, yes, they were right the whole time. You know, there's no there's no real reason for them to to be there like you said other than to bring her there they even try to just dump them off halfway through the episode right <laughs> yeah it doesn't have the, i um... i do have to say though i was waiting for them to do something fun with uh the woman and nog and they never did it no she just looks at pictures it's it's a, a joke enough i guess that she's attracted to nog is that would have be been funny. great yeah. that would have been a that would have been an amazing b plot if it was this this <laughs> This uh, hypersexualized Mensa person going after Nog. 
not even a B plot, maybe like one or two scenes. That would have been great. I, I think I think you could make a feature film out of that clay. You're <laughs> underestimating the strength of that that storyline. Um, I thought I had something to say. Yeah, it doesn't have the um. It, what made statistical probabilities with this group work is that their issues brought about a really profound um, moral quandary for the episode to talk about, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it doesn't do that here. Like the the curing of them is strange because I don't believe it's insulting to say something like that, but to like the the restoration of her seems to be at odds with the fact that they thought that they were profoundly deep characters previously when they had the same issues with them. So just because of the fact that she seems to be the most uh, like suffering of them because she has that thing where she can't, she's apparently so overwhelmed by her senses that she can't handle and can't talk or speak or see anything. So Mm -hmm. Curing her seems just to make sense. Just put her in front of a pinball machine. She'll be fine. Yeah. She has, <laughs> every every object needs to have that um, epileptic seizure warning in front of her, I think, as she's moving along. But it, it doesn't... I don't know. The curing of her seems at odds with what I thought that those characters are supposed to represent. Like, the characters are right. supposed to be unique enough where the curing doesn't seem like it should be the goal of that, but them living in that situation should teach Bashir something. And I think they miss on both of those marks for this one. Yeah. And they don't have a moment where anybody says that to him either, where they're like, uh, you sure she needs to be cured of anything? Right. You know, are you sure that other doctors trying- under the thumb of Julian Bashir, apparently it does whatever kind of testing or, uh, surgeries he wants. Yeah. Julian, are you trying to cure her? Cause you think it'll make her life better or are you trying to cure her? So you won't feel as weird about, you know, thinking about her. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know yeah it's it's um i was uh i was disappointed by this one i guess would be the way yeah. to describe it really just really it re- like i'm not done with the series or anything but it hit me I, I watching it i was just like is the series done at this point or why mm. why are they doing these kinds of episodes at this it's- point it's really fascinating to me because if you know you've got this is your last season and you're middle of the and you're in the middle of the Dominion War, I mean maybe it's a money thing. I'm sure that they probably had like no money for the last season because that's usually how these things go. Um, but like, man, blow it up a little bit, you know, like yeah. swing for the fence or something instead of just kind of limping along, kill some people or so. I don't know, do something. <laughs> Crack, uh, have the Jem Hadar blast out through the wormhole and and hit deep, deep Space Nine in a certain way that cracks the whole place in half or some shit. I don't know. Do something cool. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, every time you see a character, it's potentially the last time you're going to see them, right? So, yeah. d- you would feel that things would have a little bit more of a sense of finality to them, and this doesn't really. It feels like it's this feels like a very middle season episode where Bashir is realizing his loneliness and stuff, and he's going to grow from it. But you're at the end. So it feels almost more tragic that he's in this place at that point. But I, I guess we'll see how the rest of the episodes shake out. If they had, if this was like the last season of Breaking Bad or or like Game of Thrones, and they had spent one episode entirely about, um, you know, uh, what's her name, uh, Julie Christie's character, um, befriending like a. a a boy with a broken leg or something, I would be rip shit, but obviously it's a different time. (laughs) It is. I guess that's kind of, I guess that's kind of how people, some people felt about the first two episodes of the last season of, of game of Thrones. Cause it was everybody just like showing up to the party for, for two hours. Right. Um, I kind of enjoyed that though. I liked seeing everybody back together and talking, but 
that's just me. Let's uh, take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back. We'll read some patron thoughts and give our final thoughts about Chrysalis. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to feel? Tell me. I want to make you happy. I owe you everything. Shh. You, you don't owe me. You don't owe me anything. I'm sorry. I wish I could be the woman you want me to be. Shh. All right, everybody. So if you enjoyed the content today and you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to do that. A couple dollars a month and you get extra stuff like podcasts. We're doing Black Mirror right now. The first season There's other films that we've reviewed, other Q&As, all that stuff. You can check it out at patreon.com slash the Penske file. And as always, Captain Tier supporters on that website get... Sorry. Sorry. Gwendolyn Christie, not Julie Christie. Julie Christie is an actress from the 60s. Who's, who's Gwendolyn Christie? Is she Hank's wife? That's uh, Brienne of Tarth. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of the wrong show. I was thinking of Break of <laughs> Yeah, I, I jumped over to uh, Game of Thrones halfway through that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> like Bashir hopping off of one lady to the next. Clay's yeah, on. either way. Yeah, if there was a whole episode in the final season about Hank's wife, uh, you know. Yeah, they had that weird uh, shoe stealing plot for her, and then they abandoned yeah. giving her plots after that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if they had really doubled down on the shoe stealing for the last season, <laughs> I don't think it would have gone over super well. Now she's stealing pants. Uh, the Captain Tier supporters on Patreon, Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Cork, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Icy Unicorns, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. Let's go to patron comments about Chrysalis. Poindexter G says, The best part of this episode, the fact that Julian's brand, band of crazies were able to get into DS9 simply by putting Patrick in an admiral's uniform and answering, that's a stupid question, whatever anyone <laughs> questioned them. It's great because it's kind of true. If you just walk into a place looking the part and acting like you're supposed to be there, people seldom call you out on it. That's how you approach uh, podcasting about Star Trek. Just act like you know what you're talking about, I think. I was going to say, have you ever tried that? Because I know people who can do that with such confidence. And I walk into places I know I'm supposed to be, and I still don't feel confident about it. Like, I, I walk in somewhere where I, like, have a ticket, and I'm like, they're probably going to throw me out for some reason. I'm so a- I, I, I can't imagine, like, walking into a restaurant or something and lying about a reservation or something. Yeah, the the only the extent I get to it is I find that... um. There's the there's a lot of references to TNG that that TNG episode attached in the seventh season where uh, Picard and Beverly are attached to each other and they're sort of walking around this alien wilderness and she's like which way do we go and he says we have to go this way and after they've been walking around for a little while she says you have no idea where you're going do you you're just talking like you do and he says yeah when you're in command sometimes you just have to like act like you know what you're talking about uh, mm-hmm. to to be confident but I, I feel the only time I do that is really when uh, like. I can sense like looming indecisions in uh, like trying to decide what you want to do or what sure. the best way to go about things. And I think at that point you can get stuck in this muck of if everyone doesn't sound, know what they're talking, sound like they're talking about, then nothing ever gets done. So it's best mm. to, it's best to just forge forward. And even if you're wrong, you can fix it and do something else. But that's the extent of it. I, I never feel, I never feel confidence in doing it. I feel like I'm just lying about it. So I'm I'm hyper aware that I'm lying about it, but I feel it gets results. Yeah, I see. <laughs> but I would never so, go in and like barge into a restaurant and say like, I'm the person with the reservation for eight o'clock. Sit me down and we'll see what happens. You know what? 
That's why you're not a winner, Wes. That's, That's the it. mindset of winners. I know. That's why I'm just sadly sitting here. Norman Buckwald says, was the return Stealing of- Stealing these- food is the mindset of winners. <laughs> I'm not there to steal my bread. Uh, Chrysalis, was the return of these genetic-made social intelligence gone wrong misfits necessary? Let's now combine the sound of music with My Fair Lady and give Bashir a love interest of the week. Aside from strong acting, I'd rather have a longer story arc about the war, and that's still more than half a season coming, two out of five. Or like, what if what if she had gotten her senses back or whatever and was like way smarter than Bashir and even even more condescending than the other three were? Right. You know, yeah, like yeah. So, just something. That's the lull you know? storyline where she, she beats him after he fixes her and he becomes... Um, I guess that's the way you can change it from the data storyline because Bashir would be emotionally affected by that happening, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. You're saying that's kind of what happens, yeah. I mean, but data can't... The, the genius of the TNG thing is that after this tragic... Uh, story of a daughter dying data doesn't feel anything about it right at the end right so it, it's this very interesting character study for data where i feel like bashir can react jealously or um uh annoyed by the, the turn of events and they don't do that Dwayne hackett says i'm not sure how to feel about this episode it feels like it was meant to be lighthearted and cute boy meets girl girl is practically catatonic boy cures girl girls falls for boy it just feels wrong Though it does build about the augment, uh, build upon the augments first introduced in statistical probabilities, the episode is definitely misplaced. From no one bothering to do a background check on the augments to Bashir shouting his love from the top of the hills for Serena. Don't get me wrong, it's not a terrible episode, it's just not a good one and definitely not for season 7. Just don't ask me why. That's a stupid question. Very good, very good, Dwayne. Two out of five. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Matthew Ross says, I disliked this episode when it first aired. Not much has changed. If I wanted a four-part harmony, I'd watch another show. I could not wait for this one to get over with. Those four augment mental patients just get on my nerves. Also, on the heels of another Break in the War episode, this was a real slog. As for the Doctor having a love interest in Serena, eh, guess what? She has a relapse? No way. This episode feels a bit like Melora, and that one Dr. Bashir love story was enough. Serena's desire to leave proves that she also thinks he's too clingy. It's not her, it's him. Well, he still has O'Brien. She doesn't relapse in this, right? She fakes her relapse. Yeah, doesn't she, she fakes it. Yeah, yeah, she fakes her Which relapse. Which is even weirder. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, because the, the, the relapse was what I was thinking about. Lol, like that. That's the the relapse is when things start to go wrong. But then she's just like, no, I just don't want to talk to people, and I find it easy. Yeah, this way. that was really fresh. He's like, no, she can talk. She just doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> she's like, scared. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Zam Nuclear Wessel says, "Ouch." Almost- I mostly like this, but the ending feels a bit empty and repetitive. Makira would have had it to be more from her point of view. By following Bashir, we only get glimpses of the most emotional, important stuff, which is between her and her lifelong friends. I think that's a good summary of how I feel about it, too. Kyle Barrett says, At the start of the episode, I thought Cisco was going to finish his line, We're not here to debate Federation policy toward the genetically enhanced with, because we did that last episode. In fact, <laughs> they squeezed all the interesting stuff out of the, the savants in that previous installment. They once again fit snugly into their annoying stereotype boxes, but unlike last time, there's not much to the story. Bashir finding love with someone like him is a neat idea, but it's a bit too slight. And after the singing scene, I'm surprised he didn't make her mute again along with the other three. (laughs) The episode's not actively bad. In fact, I think it's decently written and tackles the doctor-patient relationship with surprising grace. But in the end, it's just a bit meh. This is actually the uh, inspiration for that song. Now that we've found love, what are we gonna do (laughs) with it? Little known fact. 
Samuel S. says, final comment, when I read the one little plot blur before the episode, I got worried. When I read the one little plot blur before the episode, I got worried. Turns out this episode is pretty great, minus that one singing scene that I muted my TV for. I love episodes that take a relatable problem that we can all experience and add a slight sci-fi spin to it. Bashir's struggle with loneliness is something we can all relate to at some point in our lives, and his desperation to have somebody with him is palpable and great. A surprising oh, I, five, surprising five out of five, which is a very strong praise wow. for the episode from. Samuel I was gonna, S. I was, gonna, <laughs> I was glad he clarified his point because I was like, how many catatonic people has he brought? I was going to say, of- how many doctors have you had sex with? <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I'm glad he uh, clarified his personal relationship. I, because I agree, I like the Bashir loneliness angle. I don't think this is a great episode uh, because of it, but I understand why they would go with that angle. I just don't feel that they really accomplished it effectively or that mm. the, the way that they chose to illuminate his loneliness actually turned it into a worse problem. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Clay, on our scale of one to five, what are you going to give chrysalis? Which is a great mm. word to say. I like chrysalis. It's a good word. Chrysalis. Um, Become the butterfly. I will say I, it's a tough one because I, I agree with what you said at the beginning where it's like it's. You're seven seasons in, so even a bad episode is is still like really competently put together, and there's no bad performances really in it. It's just boring. Um, so I think that's probably the definition of a two for me. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two as well because I think that I not, like the bones, but it can't go anywhere with the way that they built around it. Yeah, it's not like it's not bad. No, it's not bad. You know, capital B. It's it's just there yeah it is no and, and the, the the harshest thing i have to say like if an episode makes me wonder if the series is out of gas that's pretty bad at this that's point true. like that's your your point. worst worst case scenario is that the show is running out of gas and the episodes start to reflect it i do, i think that they improve but i'm just saying at, at my point in this rewatch um it's it's strange to me how tng and ds9 age differently not not in terms of um like watching them now 20 years later, but how they went through their growth as shows very differently from each other. It's probably mm-hmm. down to the way, the kind of stories that they're telling, but I feel like, I feel like DS9 struggles a little bit more than TNG did in the way that they are structuring their stories around these character pieces that if you start to run out of stuff to say about the characters, your stories are really lacking. We're lacking TNG stories. We're kind of like, this is a really silly sci-fi episode that they've got going mm-hmm. here. Um, it's more like the ideas were bad, then the execution becomes bad in DS9, when DS9 has bad episodes in later seasons. So it's just kind of a strange difference to me. Mm. I think that's it. We're done with this episode, which is called Chrysalis. We both gave it twos. Thank you very much, patrons, for your leaving thoughts. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the file is the best way to do it. Otherwise, Twitter, Facebook, Discord, all that stuff. Instagram. I have an Instagram now. It's great. You can go there and click all the likes <laughs> and all that stuff. See pretty pictures. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, I don't think so. We're coming up on the last few episodes of uh, Badass for the season. So if you haven't checked those out yet, do it now because once they're out, they're gone forever. I don't know what that means. But, you know, creating a sense of urgency and a call to action is really helpful <laughs> to get you know, people to do what you want. So, uh Yeah. Call to action, a marketing 101 term that is nevertheless extremely effective. So thank you guys for listening. Check out Badass. Check out the, uh, we did the Short Trek episode for Q&A. You can check that out. Discovery will All be All the episodes back. are half off right now, by the way. That's so. right. 
That's right. Just need half a credit card and just swipe it through the internet browser and I'll get my, I'll get paid. You'll have your episode. Everyone will be happy. I think that's it. Um, nothing else to talk about. We have... Did, uh, did we want to talk about the Discovery trailer? Yeah, we can do that now. Looks fine. What? <laughs> All right. See you guys next week. Um, I'm less excited about Discovery than Picard. I, mm-hmm. I'm really not super interested in Discovery at this point. Um, I don't think it's ultimately going to change all that much. You know, we talked about it at the end of last season. They're in a position now where they only have released their shackles. Like, you, there's no more of an optimum position for this writing room to be in. Uh, right. We'll see. I, I don't know. Like, from the trailer, it looks a lot of the same. They have the line of, like, we've been waiting for you, Michael Burnham. Eh. Oh, boy. It's like, Did they really? I, I must have missed that. Yeah, I think it's like the, when they, the scene where they unveil the old Federation flag, uh, and it seems like oh, he's been hiding it for a wait, while. He says something like that. Is there going to be a scene like like the end of, or, or the beginning of Back to the Future 3, where uh, a guy shows up and he's like, we've had this piece of mail at the post office for the last hundred years. <laughs> it's said to deliver it right here at this very moment. And we've been waiting to do it for a hundred years, and now the time is finally here. Is yeah. it going to be one of those things where it's like they're going to show up, and Michael's going to they're like, "We have this for you," and it's like a holographic message from Ash Tyler from a thousand years ago or some shit. I was thinking, um, nine hundred thirty years is an interesting amount of time because when you say it, it feels like it's forever, like the whole universe mm-hmm. would be different. But if you if you go back in human history a thousand years, yeah, we're totally different, but we're still we're still humans. You know what I mean? So right, I, right. I think that I was almost just thinking a thousand years, I had in my head that things would be totally different, and that actually doesn't make sense. So when you see in the trailer, you see a lot of species that you'd be familiar with. There's a Cardassian, there are Trill, there's mm-hmm. an Andorian, um, and they all kind of look the same. So that that surprised me, but it's only because I'm thinking about the timeline improperly. So 900 years is a interesting amount of time for them to jump forward, I think. And they well, it's it's not a little amount of time, you know. I mean, a thousand years ago was Viking times. Yes, you know, a, so a, a lot's th- changed, I think. Yeah, yeah, but it's not. Um, for whatever reason, my head when I was picturing, it, I was like, oh, there'll be all different species. Like I picture like a total evolution of the universe, and sure, it's, it's not going to sure. be that. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I mean, you know. I guess they could, depending on how things shake. You know, who knows? Uh, if if they if all the humans just start breeding with Klingons or something, I guess right. it'd be very different. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, I, I I'm I'm kind of looking forward to it because I'm curious to see what they do uh, with the shackles off. I just keep thinking like, why didn't they do this at the end of the first season or something? I don't know. Yep. Whatever. That's you know, don't want to relitigate that. Um, they can now use the spore drive freely and sure, it's, it's no great. problem they said apparently yeah. they've said they're going to so the sport drive exists now and it makes more sense oh excellent i guess um but yeah i i uh i i thought it looked pretty cool there were some things that i found interesting um seeing the trills in there was interesting and i was it the andorians i think were in there as well yeah the the andorians are the little blue guys with antennas the blue guys yeah um i i did i did think that the time passing being shown by her getting really long dreadlocks was kind of hilarious. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I think there's potential there. Uh, having a blank slate is really cool. Uh, I am a little bit worried at how much 
stuff that looks like it was just shot outside on the beach. Yeah. Um, a lot of empty more, vistas in the, the yeah. scenes here where people are uh, very reminiscent of Braveheart's shoots where it's just an open Scottish field and like 15 guys running across yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to notice that movies and shows that take place primarily outdoors are usually usually means that they their budget has gone way down. Mm. Uh like any any um comic book movie pre MCU that had a sequel that took place largely in the woods usually meant that they had did not have a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like the third X-Men movie or uh Fantastic Four 2 just inexplicably have big sequences that take place in the woods well they are justifying um, it by saying they're traveling to get very alien landscapes so they went to iceland sure and yeah, things that like that sense. so i was gonna say it looks like iceland yeah 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 um but yeah i'm i'm uh i'm interested i'm i'm holding out hope again as i did with the second season um you know just dying to see what the starfleet logo looks like a thousand years in the future so i can buy it and put it on my board I read. I think I read somewhere the Federation apparently still exists at this point. So it's not gone. Or uh, I think in Calypso, you kind of got the sense that it, it wasn't around anymore. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a mythical mythological thing. I don't know if I'm misremembering that, but I think I read a thing where the producers were saying that the Federation is still there. It's just different than it was. So well, you know, I it's I think that's a coin flip because I mean, thousand years, very plausible that it wouldn't exist. It is, yeah. Uh, you know, because, uh, again, a thousand years ago was like... No nation existed times. that we have yeah. now, yeah. yeah. Which was right after the fall of Rome, or, you know, concurrent with the fall of Rome, more or less. Um, and, uh, yeah, things things were very different as far as, as uh, how countries were even conceived of. Yep, yep. So I'm, I'm interested. I, I think it's the best case scenario for that show. We'll see how it goes. I still think that Discovery's writing will be the great test of that they can have the greatest idea possible and if the writing remains the same i don't think it's going to be a very enjoyable show yep agree guys thank you very much for listening we'll be back with treachery faith and the great river is the next episode one of my favorite titles i think uh until then thank you very much for listening thank you for supporting the show we'll see you later